Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the Choose Inclusion podcast. Uh, we are doing a special series, live series called Black Voices Matter. And uh, we appreciate you joining us today. Uh, I'm here with Yubi. Uh, Mike is uh, taking a much needed break today. Uh, so Yubi, thank you for joining. Hello everybody. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for coming back and listening. So we have a, a, an amazing guest today. Um, Aaron Clark is joining us. He is uh, a freelance developer and the founder of Equity Solutions. Uh, I met Aaron uh, during the preparations for what was supposed to be Boulder Startup Week this year. Aaron is an incredible leader, really thoughtful when it comes to thinking about how to build um, inclusive conferences and really just changing the tech industry to um, make sure that it's more inclusive, that diversity is top of mind, not just a, a side conversation that companies should be talking about. And so Aaron, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, Yubi. I appreciate the opportunity. So Aaron, let's just, you know, I think the first thing that we, we wanna ask you is just, how, how are you feeling, man? How are you doing? Well, thank you for asking. Um, I. I'm actually feeling okay, a little tired. Uh, it's, it's definitely been a long and, and arduous week for us that are working in the equity space um, and also holding the weight of um, this crisis and this, uh, this, 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 this heavy weight that we're dealing with amongst the black people in the black community. Um, but I also feel very fortunate. I do have a good network of folks around me um, that have supported, that have checked in, that have messaged. Um, and I also feel very resourced to, to step in and help where I can. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that it's interesting for, or it's, it's necessary for everyone to do their part in this fight. And I feel like um, my part is, is in helping other people um, educate themselves on these issues. So I, I feel good, but I also feel heavy at the same time. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I appreciate appreciate your vulnerability and and you know I think it's important for people to hear that right like it's you know everybody gets asked like you know how are you doing and and the default's always like oh pretty good but right now I you know I don't we can't default that answer so because <laughs> I think that you know it's 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 a hard time what, what are you seeing you know in the world that you come from uh, you've done a lot of work in the VC space and what are you seeing and hearing from that community right now? Well, I'm hearing from a, a lot of folks in the, I guess, the VC slash CEO leader space um, that, you know, that happen to be white. Uh, they, they seem to want to reach out right now. And a lot of them, at least the ones that I've been dealing with, they seem to understand that this is the time to listen. And this is the time to, uh, to do some deep learning. Um, of themselves to find out where their biases are at, uh, what they've done to uh, create the system of oppression that we have, and also the things they've done to try and dismantle it, and then to look at what they can do to continue that work. Um, I, I've been I've been reassured and encouraged by the amount of times that I've actually brought direct feedback back to people um, that I you know maybe even two or three months ago, I probably wouldn't have said it as direct. And after trying it a few times, it, it, was, it kept working, I, I'm continuing to do it. So I'm hearing that they're ready to listen 
um, and they're taking feedback. And, and I just don't think that's an opportunity that I can pass by. Well, I mean, I think that's interesting because like, you know, when I, when I kind of entered the diversity, equity, inclusion space, it seemed like it, the conversations that we're capable of having now were just not considered palatable. You know, we always had to enter it from kind of subconscious bias and things like that. And now we can actively talk about, you know, white supremacy and mm. how to not just say I'm not a racist, but to actually be anti-racist and, mm. and things like that. I mean, what have, what have you been seeing in terms of the tone of the conversations and maybe how they've changed just in the last couple of weeks? Yeah, I, I remember that as well. Like some of the tone around, around equity and things like, you know, criminal justice reform, you had to make this business ROI case for why you should hire um, under-resourced, underrepresented folks or why you should uh, make sure that diversity on your teams and inclusion on your teams mattered. And if you couldn't make that strong business case, it was an uphill battle. Um, and I think people were just, you know, by and large, just not paying attention to the struggle of other people. But because, you know, the, the realistic scenario we have is that our world has been thrust into um, a health crisis, a pandemic that has a forced us to sit at home and pay attention more to what's going on. We have more time. And then we've noticed the things like it's disproportionately affecting black and brown people, Native Americans um, are, are affected. And then we turn and enter into a series of brutal murders of black people. And we're seeing that all play out right in front of our eyes. And I think what that did is it changed um, the perspective of people. And they realized that what these equity consultant-ish type people, what they've been saying for so long is so important and I should slow down and listen. And it kind of tapped into the heart, I think, of a lot of people that, you know, they had good intentions, they have good hearts, it was there. It just, it just unfortunately took two crises in order to make it a little easier for you and I to have these conversations we're having with people. Yeah, I think with um, all the media coverage, you know, I'm glad to hear that more people are listening, um, especially, you know, leaders at companies. I mean, do you think that once the media coverage dies down, is this gonna be sustainable? Do you think that there's gonna be actual change happening? In long run? You know, I, I'm, I'm cautious, cautiously optimistic. Uh, I get a little afraid that if we don't, you know, jump on this right now, it's going to go away. Um, and I, I fear that the next thing is going to be, you know, whatever political thing is going to happen in November is going to, is going to take away some of the attention over these issues. Um, but I have to hope that that's not the case. I have to go into this work thinking and believing that we're setting something up that, that will change for the future. Um, and then the other piece is that in some of the networks that I'm in um, amongst mainly black and black and brown folks right now, there's a lot of pressure around this exact topic, thinking through and saying, you know, hey, we do appreciate, we do see what's going on. And there's even some skepticism about what's going on, but, but some folks are like, hey, we're gonna check in in two weeks. We're gonna check in in four weeks. We're going to see if you held up to it. So my hope is that that, that pressure stays on uh, people to continue this, this fight and this change for the long, the long run. What do you suggest to people? Because, you know, I know I, I, there's a lot of people, including ourselves, who 
you know, we're kind of sitting there and trying to figure out what is it that we can do, right? And how, what would you say to individuals who agree, like who want to keep the pressure up, who want to help in any way, shape or form that they can? Like, what do you tell them? What can they do? Well, the analogy to think about is, you know, and unfortunately, when someone passes in, in your life, um, or say a, a friend of someone, I'm sorry, a loved one of someone passes, you know, often you check in with the person that, you know, that remains the family a couple times. And then unfortunately, it kind of, it kind of you know, goes by the wayside. And so I think what I would tell people is to commit to some sort of cadence of communication, listening and checking in on people. Um, if it's in the business world, communicate or, 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 com- or commit, I should say, to weekly calls with you know, your equity consultant or weekly calls with whoever's helping you form this strategy. Um, it, it just honestly has to be thought of like therapy, like you would work with your lawyer or your CPA. Um, yes, you're going to hire these folks to do your, you know, your business document or your taxes, but you're also going to check in with them every other week on your, on your books or every month on your, you know, taxes or whatever it is. And so I think I would tell people to start looking at this work and that by this work, I mean, listening to black folks and work with your consultants, look at this as long-term strategic business operations that you're doing. That's great advice. Um, you know, I think one of the things that is really weighing on me personally is just how um, how deeply ingrained in the systems that we've set up are, 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 are the big part of the problem of why we've hit the boiling point that we've hit today. Um, you've been working at the intersection of criminal justice reform and kind of tech for, for many years now. Can you tell, tell me what you learned in the process of working at that intersection and where you see that applying today? Well, that's a good question. Um, I see systems that were put in place and designed the way that they are over and over. Um, you know, one of the phrases that's kind of thrown around in the, in the justice world is, you know, a quote unquote broken criminal justice system and, and we need to you know, fix it, et cetera. But the reality is the criminal justice system in America is actually working the way that we designed it. It was designed very early on to, to oppress and keep down people that the elite, the power, the money, um, you know, the landowners did not want to, uh, to exceed. And so it's actually working by design. Then if you look at, you know, a capitalist society that we live in, it is designed by its very nature to benefit those that um, have access to that capital. And we, we know, you know, there are certain people groups in our world that have more access than others. Unfortunately, black folks, um, you know, don't have access as much to, to some other folks. So I see these, these, these scenarios we're in today, like living in a state that is not incredibly diverse. And, and, and you have to look and say, that's how it was supposed to be. And if we actually want change, yes, we're going to do all these things. We're going we're gonna to give to organizations that are doing great work. Uh, we're going to hire people to increase diversity of not only um, workers, but executives and uh, investors, et cetera. We'll, we'll, we'll hire and, and invest in more black founders, but we have to really understand that what really 
is going to change this is supporting the black community and making sure that we're actually dismantling the systemic racism that's per, you know pervasive in our in our country. Um, without doing that, we're not really going to make change. And, and I don't believe that the black folks that we're hearing from today are, are going to let up on that. Yeah, I hope I hope you're I hope you're right. I because I, I completely agree. Like this isn't this can't be like a, like every reaction we've had to like mass school shootings, for example, or previous uh, previous deaths of people of color. Um, you know, we 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 have like it has to change, right? Yeah. I mean, that's sort of where I'm at. Like this is an either or scenario. There is there's no gray area. Mm -hmm. um, but but it's yeah it's like how do you how do you get people to sort of take pull their head out of the ground and and stop hiding from this yeah the other the other day i was watching um a video dr nita mosby tyler who is uh one of the authors in the dei today app and platform that that we're building um and sh and she made a comment on that newscast about you know, a lot of her work is simply just creating space for people to be okay to talk about race and to be okay to talk about these uncomfortable subjects. And I feel like we fast forwarded to a point now where it's like, we're a little bit past just being uncomfortable talking about it. And now we can actually do the work. And like I said, I, I, I just have a feeling that like we, we have to make sure we don't go back. We have to make sure that no matter what comes next week, um, we don't let up on this work. And, you know, the, the, the downside of, of our, you know, 2020 technical world is we have media and social media at our fingertips and it's overwhelming and it's stressful and you've got access to tons of information, you know, at the, at the tip of your fingerprints or think tip of your fingers. But on the flip side, these images that we've seen over the last week and a half of the murder of George Floyd and then of the protests and the police brutality against the protesters, those images are not going to leave us. It, it reminds me when I see and think about these of the images of Emmett Till and the images of the other folks that were lynched um, and all the things that you can see at the Equal Justice Institute in Montgomery, Alabama of the lynchings of black Americans uh, pre-civil rights days. And so these images are our generation's call to action and there's something like you're saying there's something we cannot allow ourselves to go back on um, from this point yeah and, and i think you know it, it, it's interesting because you know the the advantage of social media is that it puts us puts it right there you know almost real time in front of so many more people than um a picture in a newspaper for example decades yeah. ago uh so i think i think that's a a big component to to the change taking effect taking hold um what so uh, sort of the flip side of that is there's so much information coming at us about a lot of different things you know covid then this like what are people do you think people are struggling with like with priorities like prioritize like well how do you prioritize you know what's what's what is really the most important thing that we should be focused on right now i i wholeheartedly try to fix 
yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that people are struggling with priorities. Um, you know, this last, I would say this is now the seventh straight day that I've been kind of doing the same thing of working with people to, um, you know, go through and write these statements and look at strategy while doing all the other work that that's on my plate. And, um, you know, I was talking to a colleague and he was saying, we we're talking about a, a news article about news not related to the black community. And he's like, yeah, I haven't even seen that. And we were joking that we haven't had the opportunity to, you know, read the latest story about what's happening in sports, which there's not a lot of news, but there's a few things I've heard, but I haven't had a chance to do that. Um, and I do think people are overwhelmed with information and that, that is a downside. So I think what people have to do is people have to make a choice about where they wanna focus their, their energy. Um, the people that are fighting this fight that are helping to push it, um, you, you probably have to decide, are you, going to, are you going to protest? Are you going to be the person that goes out and fights on the streets and advocates for change um, and joins in the numbers, the masses of people? Um, but then there's some people that, 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 are, that need to work online, they need to work on social media, they need to push efforts to make sure that the black communities are supported. They need to push public policy, uh, pu push police reform. And so I think, you know, it, it's a, a classic kind of hone in on what you want to work and fix and, and stay focused while remembering the problem again is that we need to dismantle structural racism in this country and the support has to stay on the black community um, for the time being. And it, it'll shift, it, it'll shift to something else, I'm sure. Um, we need to focus on, but this is where it's at. And as long as those two things are, uh, are paramount in front of your, your vision, um, that's how I think we see lasting and sustaining change. I think like the tech sector in particular has been kind of explicitly and implicitly, you know, part of the problem of upholding white supremacy in this, in this country and, you know, across the world really. I mean, what, what should the tech sector be doing to dismantle this, to up, you know, uphold black voices during all of this? Yeah, I've seen a lot of things that the tech sector is doing and, and you know, for better or for worse, we tend to try and fix, we try and fix human problems with technology. And I don't believe that's the answer. Um, granted, there will be new apps that come out. Um, there will be new products that come out and, and obviously that's, that's just gonna happen. But I think that the tech sector has to um, invest in making sure this, this problem doesn't ever get this bad again. You know, if you look at the last, say, 10 years, five or 10 years of diversity reports, and most of the companies that publicly uh, released their diversity numbers, the, the, the numbers didn't change that much. There's a few outliers of companies that um, did well in certain areas of, of diversity and inclusion. Um, but we've had re companies recently that have uh, turned to canceling out their diversity programs. And so I think um, tech companies have to relook at their customers and realize that their customers are actually a diverse group of people and their employees, their strategies, their culture has to match that. Um, I've been a fan of the hiring process needing to be over, over, over um, a reform for a long time because you know, to get into tech as a, say, as a programmer, for instance, um, you know, there are some ways to go through it, like going through a coding boot camp, which is fantastic. But what folks don't often know and are not often told that once you finish that program, 
that coding bootcamp program, it's very, very hard to get a role in a company, mainly because the companies aren't taking time to mentor, you know, newer folks and people that are coming in from other, other backgrounds. And so I think tech has to put more time there. Um, these coding boot camps across the nation are doing a fantastic job of giving people the basics and a start. And I think tech has to say, cool, we appreciate that. We'll take it from here. We've got tons of people. We'll slow down our process and actually mentor people. You know, if every company out there would agree to ramp up their mentoring process, you know, we've got black and brown coders all across this country. They just want an opportunity. You know, I had one uh, black coder friend of mine um, that I turned him on to a company that was hiring a startup um, related to COVID. And I actually know this guy. I know his code. I've, I've worked with him. And he's, he is, he's at junior level, but he just needs an opportunity. And in 45 minutes over the phone, they just turned him down because he wasn't quick enough. He wasn't good enough. And I think that type of thing has to change so that companies will take the time to bring someone on and train them and, and, and mentor them. Right. Like these are, these are long, like right now you see all these companies kind of throwing up the hashtag black lives matter on their websites and on their social feeds. But I think you're hitting on a really big point, which is how are they systemically building companies that go beyond a hashtag in this moment in history? Yeah. Cause the thing is, you know, black folks are fighting back right now and pushing back at the the onus of saying that we are less than, we are not less than, we're not underqualified, we're not any, we're not uh, non-intelligent people, we are intelligent people. The problem is we haven't been giving access and opportunity that a lot of the folks have. You know, a lot of the coders that I know um, that are, you know, coming from an elite background into a good school, these folks had access to code when they were eight years old. You know, they had computers in their home because maybe their dad or their uncle or their mom, you know, was into computers. And so they've been doing this their entire time. Whereas in the black and brown community, especially the black community, um, we're behind in terms of, you know, when we start getting involved in tech. And so to me, equity says this person did not get what they could have benefited from. So in turn, I'm going to give them more than I give other people so that they can succeed. Uh, just today, I think I, um, I wanna say that the company is called Sacred Design Lab and I want to say they're somewhere in the Pacific Northwest, but maybe not. Um, this company pays their, their, their POCs or people of color an extra 26% when they're paying for like contract work and design work. And the reason they do that is because they realize that these people that they're hiring have access to less capital and less resources than other folks, and they're doing their best to make up that difference. That's what more tech companies have to do for us to truly succeed. Well, yeah, and it's a choice, right? They have to make that choice. Just like going back to what you said earlier, you know, it's, well, because of COVID or, you know, that companies are, are reducing budgets, cutting diversity and inclusion programs, but, it's like you can't you can't cut one thing off because of another. Like all of these things are interconnected, and and more companies and more leaders, I, I believe, need to see that in order to realize that 
that that interconnectedness is what's going to save them and and being intentional about exactly the example you just gave paying our people of color contractors more because of these systemic issues that have been around forever and uh, increasing our focus on diversity and inclusion throughout the entire organization because that's what's going to save our company you know like it, it's it, th- th- there's two there's too many well if if then or you know well not this but this it's kind of you got to kind of you have to look at it as a whole and yeah. i guess that that kind of goes back to my my question about priorities it's like yeah all of these things that may not seem to be connected that are happening right now i think actually are yeah yeah and they're they are connected and, and i saw one um statement recently around you know hiring more black folks and I like the statement because it mentioned the population and the realistic success that could be had with more hires. Um, And so when you see that, you're like, okay, that is a realistic and that's a good choice that a company or or a VC is making in order to diversify its portfolio, diversify its founders or its board that's tied to something like the metrics of the city. Um, But it's something that a company or VC has to make that decision and say, this is what I want to do. And I'm going to state it out loud and I'm going to do it because it's no different than, you know, say if you're launching some business, the same thing happens for the launch, you know, startups are known for the tenacity that, that they have. um, And the founders, executive, the team will do what it takes to make sure that business succeeds. And I think if that same tenacity were used around supporting the black community, they would achieve their goals. So uh, Aaron, just to kind of wrap it up, the whole point of the Black Voices Matter series that we're doing here is that everyone just needs to sit back and listen a little bit more, especially to black voices right now. And so, you know, if you could say whatever it is that you wanna say to the world, uh, what, what is it that you want people to hear right now from coming from you? That's a good question. So many, so many things come to mind. I, I would say the first thing that I would say is I saw a, a post and this post said, um, don't it, to the point, it's something to the point of don't question another person's pain or you don't understand their pain. And so the first thing I would say is um, understand that the trauma and the pain that the black community has carried for every single one of us for our entire lives is really insurmountable unless you've actually walked in our skin, which is not possible to do it and change. Uh, There's just no way to, to understand it. There's no analogy. Um, It's very similar to being a father and even though I have had kids or my partner, um, I don't understand what it's like to bear a child. I was there. I, I participated. I was empathetic. I went to classes. I read. You know, I put in my work more than one time, but I still have no idea what it's like to bear a child. And so I think the first thing is for folks to understand that you know you just you just can't understand what it's like and so you just have to have empathy over all things and then the second thing is um 
you know, this is a somewhat of a shameless plug um, because it's tied to a product that I'm building, but I don't think that this work actually, or I should say, I don't think this movement actually works without hearts and minds changes. And so in order for, um, you know, if you come from a place of privilege, in order for you to get to that place of empathy and trying to understand, you know, as much as you can to walk in someone else's shoes, it takes work. Um, I remember recently when, um, you know, this is a story that I've, that I've told, you know, a lot lately, but uh, as a man growing up from the South with not the best grammar, using pronouns, gender pronouns properly for folks was really difficult for me. Um, I use guys a lot. Um, I call people he and she, no matter what I thought, uh, it just kind of came out of my mouth. And so I had to slow down and go to someone and said, hey, can you please help me in this area? What do I need to do? Can you talk me through this? Can you give me some pointers? And I had to do that education and I'm still not, you know, sometimes I still will make a mistake. Um, and thankfully the folks around me are pretty graceful with it. And so the second thing I would say is education and personal development. You know, you've just got to do your work and put the time into it. Um, and the third thing I'll say, you know, equity work is a graceful space um, or it needs to be a graceful space. Um, people are going to make mistakes and it's okay. Um, you know, if someone makes a mistake, I think we should call them out and say, hey, this is not okay. Um, but we should give folks a, a chance to, to kind of um, learn because at the end of the day, I don't want people to hurt. I don't want people that are racist against me to hurt. I really want them to learn. Um, unfortunately, it's hard, but we just need to keep creating graceful spaces for people to, to kind of learn what this, this work is all about. Perfect, perfect way to end this, um, this conversation. Thank you, Aaron, for everything. Um, as always, we are here to listen and learn and, and support in any way we can. Um, we look forward to doing great things and seeing great, great things from you with, with um, the new product coming out and um, just the work that you're doing for Colorado. So thank you very much, Aaron. Thank you, UB, and thank you, Nina, for having me on. I really appreciate your time, and, and thank you for your friendship and support. It, it does mean a lot. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you all very much. Again, check the check our website, chooseinclusion.com, for upcoming episodes of uh, Black Voices Matter, and uh, we will check you next time. Thanks, Nina. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone.